0: For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. So let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. And today, a really interesting person uh, called Martha Aviles. And she's got a fascinating story, which I can't wait to unpack. But first of all, I better say hello, Martha. How are you? Hi, Russell. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure, and I can tell by the accent that you're over the pond. So, where are you in the world? I'm in Austin, Texas, the great country. I'm kidding. State of Texas. <laughs> no, I've been to Alaska, and they always say how tiny that Texas is. So I've never, I'm never quite sure of the humor in America. Whether, but they have T-shirts. They wander around with T-shirts saying, "Oh, Texas, isn't it cute?" <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I get it. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> and what is it that you do, Martha?
1: I'm uh, the VP of marketing of Talru.
0: Tell us more about that.
1: Um, yeah. So Talroo helps uh, Fortune 500 companies, uh, mid-market enterprise level companies hire essential workers. Everything from, I think, call centers, nursing aides, grocery store clerks, retail, hospitality, logistics, trucking. I could go on and on, but yeah that's
0: what we do brilliant okay fantastic so you've um you've um arrived at this exalted position in marketing in Austin Texas but your story is more complex and more interesting with all sorts of twists and turns and a lot of resilience to to share so why don't you go back to the beginning and tell us a little bit about yourself and where it all started
1: sure so my parents are Nicaraguan immigrants um and they arrived to Miami, Florida seven days before I was born. I was born as a preemie. I think leaving the country really stressed out my mom. Um, And my parents didn't know the language uh, and came to this country and worked really hard and both are college graduates uh, and learned the language. Uh, My dad is uh, an electrical engineer and so, I don't know if you know anything about immigrants or if you've heard this from other immigrant children but i know i can always relate to it our parents kind of gave us three career choices it was doctor lawyer engineer (laughs) (laughs) like they didn't leave their country for you to be an artist that was just not gonna happen
0: Um, (laughs) troubadol
1: right right and so i grew up um we lived in miami for a while we also lived in Southern California and San Diego for a while. And then we actually, my dad found Austin in the early nineties, um, because it was developing a sort of like a, a tech hub, you know, some people call it Silicon Hills. Um, and he was always pushing me to be an engineer. And let me tell you, after taking coding classes and doing some of that, it's just not for me, Russell, but, uh, yeah, I ended up doing tech marketing for the last 20 mm, some years.
0: So you're at the glamorous end of the uh, tech world rather than the sort of dirty <laughs> end. I mean, should we say, just say that? Different sort of plumbing. Sure, you can call it
1: that, but he always called it the dark side. He was like, oh, I don't know why you're joining the dark side. Yes. <laughs> so.
0: so what's it like for... Um, and, and forgive my ignorance on this, because I, I, I'm assuming that um, the experiences are different, but is it a different ec- uh, experience for a Nicaraguan coming to the States than, say, a Mexican or any of the any other, other nationalities from that part of the world? Are there particular challenges that you face?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know if I can speak for other um, ethnicities, but I would say that being from Nicaragua, it's a country that, if you remember 1980, I don't know that you do, because I know you're a very young man, but people didn't even know it was a country, right? Like there were so many times where I was like, oh, I'm Nicaraguan. And people would ask me if that was in Africa. People would ask me where it was. I would say it was in Central America. And people would argue with me that there was no such thing as Central America. Like, I remember this distinctly. It got so kind of exhausting to try to explain my story that when I was a child, this is a little bit embarrassing, but when I was a child, I used to tell people I was Cuban. Like at some point I realized like people knew where Cuba was and I had a lot of lovely Cubans married into my family. Um, and so I was like, oh, I'm Cuban. Like so that I would have to, I don't know, it just felt like an uphill battle teaching people about geography and immigration and being seven years old. You know what I mean? So
0: <laughs> <laughs> and so it must be quite interesting because technically you were conceived in Nicaragua, but born in America. So the... Um... So that's quite old, isn't it? Or is it old? I don't know, is it not? I mean, do you think think of yourself as a Nicaraguan or an American?
1: So that's what's really interesting. I think of myself, when I was younger, I used to um, feel like I didn't fit in anywhere. I didn't feel like I fit in with the Americans. And I didn't feel like I fit in with the Nicaraguans. Yes, I grew up with many Nicaraguans. I eat Nicaraguan food. Spanish was my first language. I didn't learn English till I was about six. But I never lived in the country. And so there was always this like american edge um now i've reframed that thinking and i really feel like i'm a third culture child so you know i don't fit in either but it's almost better in the sense that like i can fit in anywhere does that make sense yeah. i can relate to anyone
0: yeah it's interesting isn't it because you often find that people who um have traveled to another country and have have, have lived there they often form a sort of expat community and um you, know, you have sort of like colonies of people living in areas where they all cluster together and the, the culture is preserved and literally preserved as if it was what culture was like 50 years ago, for example. We find this in the centre of England and I find this, I've worked at other parts of the world. So, I mean, has that been your experience or have you found that you, in integrating and creating this third idea of culture that that's not been so much of a, a situation for you?
1: So I've definitely felt that experience in Miami, right? In Miami, there's actual like little neighborhoods. um, It's like the Cubans kind of, you know, stay together and the Puerto Ricans and the Nicaraguans and there's a whole community. So what's interesting in Miami, there's like Nicaraguan restaurants that are owned by the same families for generations and those become kind of gathering places. Uh, for all the other Nicaraguans. So I've definitely seen that. But as we moved to other um, places, because we moved a lot before the age of 12, before I was 12. If you come to Texas, there's not that many Nicaraguans. <laughs> like, that's where, you know, I faced the battle of like, wait, you're what? Where's Nicaragua? Is it in Africa? Is it Right. And so I don't think you can build that kind of community. And when I lived in San Diego, I will say that it was predominantly um, Filipino, Vietnamese, and Caucasian. So I learned a lot about those other cultures and I related more to the Filipino and the um, Vietnamese cultures. Most of my friends uh, were other ethnicities and not Caucasian. I think that's because we had a lot in common when it came to like immigrant parents and being a first generation American. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's difficult to have like a Nicaraguan community everywhere, right? And yeah. Miami is different, but. Yeah,
0: so it's, it's almost... <sighs> These are my words, not yours, but it's almost like a sense of displacement that you have, especially going to Texas, because I, I I I've been to Texas once, and it strikes me as one of the most. And I might be wrong here, so forgive me if I am. But it seems to be one of the least um, diverse countries and t- uh, count, um, states in terms of views and such like. It seems pretty equal all the way through. Through, if you know what I mean. It doesn't seem that diverse. It doesn't seem that um, uh, what's the word um i don't know diverse i can't think of a better word it just seems to be you know it is what it is there's this there's a texas way a texas dream a texas methodology there's a texas pattern and if you're not that pattern i just i wonder how you fit in
1: totally agree with that i think there are pockets of texas <clears throat> now as an adult like for example i've experienced a lot of ethnic diversity in houston right and i think houston kind kind of feels like an international city but as a broad generalization, Texas does feel very white, very Caucasian, very American and, you know, Texas proud. Um, I think it's also a struggle because many people, if they look at me and they're like, oh, you're tan with dark hair, you know, you're a brunette with dark hair, you're Mexican. And you just get typecast into Mexican and you get thing questions like, well, how do you make a chalupa or how I mean things that I'm like I have no idea I'm Nicaraguan right I can talk to you about plantains and rice and beans and a lot of other things but it was it used to be very frustrating um that it felt like people only knew one Hispanic culture and that was Mexican but that's because yeah. we lived in
0: so so growing up I'm here to talk a bit about resilience I guess so when did you find that you needed resilience or when did you find that you had it or you needed more
1: Well, can I answer that? But I'm a work in progress. So um, I, I moved to Texas when I was in 1986. And we lived in a small town for like a couple years called Harker Heights, Texas. And I used to get beat up at school every day because I was the only brown kid, if you will. Mm. Um, And that was really challenging. Uh, I am not going to lie there. You know, I still have like Therapy about this and talk with my advisors and coaches on this. And so I don't know that I knew that I was resilient, right. As a young child, um, I wouldn't have known that language or that terminology, but I knew that I couldn't quit and that there was something better waiting on the other side. Right. And so maybe it was a tenacity, a stubbornness. I mean, But I think it was built over time and having to deal with a lot of challenges. I still work on it all the time, right? And life continues to throw things at you as you get older that you're like, I'm resilient enough. Please, I don't need this other challenge. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think it was just this like, you don't quit attitude and you have a tenacity for life. And there's something better around the corner if you're in a spot that feels
0: dark. I mean, that's by very definition what resilience is, and as we know it now, uh, so it's interesting you say that. Um, I mean, I'm very positive and optimistic about the the ability of kids to bounce back from things, and it sounds like you had some sort of innate messages already in your head which were driving that, that approach. Do they come from your parents? Mm,
1: I mean, definitely the immigrant, like, work ethic of like you just don't qu- quit was definitely uh that but i also i mean maybe i'm i mean i'm only speaking for myself here but maybe a lot of oldest children experience this i was the oldest of 3 right and i was, i knew that there was pressure on me if you will about trailblazing this new thing for our family. And this new thing being like, we lived in the United States. Mm -hmm. Think about all the things that immigrant parents don't know that your child is going through for the very first time. Um, And after the first couple where I was quote unquote, disappointed of like, why didn't they know this? Why did no one give me a heads up about this? I realized like, oh, it's on me to make this easier for my family and for my sisters. And so that, I don't know, pressure builds diamonds, (laughs) you know, that that pressure built a lot of (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's what they say, but uh, it built a lot of um character in me. And I, I realized like I didn't want to disappoint my younger siblings. I know that sounds strange, maybe, but that's what it was, a lot of it that drove me.
0: That's that's interesting because I was half expecting you to say that your parents almost expected a form of gratitude for you because you were the first. Because actually, look what they've done for you almost. Or I mean, I know they've done it for themselves. But, and, and I've often wondered about this with um, people who've moved. As, a, as, a, as the eldest child myself, I always remember my parents saying, we've worked really, really hard, so, so you can reap the benefits of this. You know, we have sacrificed for you. And, and my parents always used to complain that I was never grateful enough. Um, but I wonder if that's sort of even more pronounced when you're, in, uh, when, you, when you're an immigrant. There was definitely some of that,
1: but that always felt very negative, if I can be frank to me, right? It was my parents. Yeah, were, that's what I mean. Yeah. I was super to me it felt very negative and not a good pressure. Um they used to always tell us this before we left the house like remember your name and like our last name was like super important and you couldn't tarnish your name or your um family's reputation or there was just a lot riding on that. But then sometimes when I would get, you know, bratty or down in the dumps or whatever you know insert negative emotion here they would say you're setting an example for your sisters and that one I found inspirational and not like
0: I was beat over the the head with it you know what I mean yes yeah I do know what you mean and, and, and I'm guessing now of course as adults are uh, you know sleeping ahead a little a while this fantastic difference that you had when you were a child that was horrible now is like a superpower because you I imagine see the world differently have a different paradigm around, you know, which obviously can catch you out from time to time because you're not going with the herd. But I imagine it gives you some sort of potential advantage in the in the real world now.
1: Totally. So I actually had this aha, probably in college when I was going against the grain and not going to be an engineer. Um, I realized I had a knack for people. And what I mean by that, I'm actually an introvert. But I think growing up, where i sometimes felt really unsafe being who i was because of my skin tone or the language i spoke at home or the lack of english i had to survive right in my early my early kind of childhood i had to survive and i had to figure people out very quickly i had to um adapt as well to make sure that i stayed safe and so now i feel like i really have a knack for people that a lot of people don't have it used to it used to kind of frustrate me but to your point when i was like you know growing up early 20s i was like man this is kind of frustrating why can't people, why can't everyone be like this but then i realized okay everyone has their own kind of special superpower and now i think it really helps me in marketing i know that sounds crazy but i can listen to people's stories get in customers head understand discovery calls
0: at a different level than other people can i think I'm su- I'm surprised you're surprised because actually what you just described there is going home, living in one culture, going to college, going to school, going to work. You're actually, a, you're almost, a, your ability to manage those different social groups and social set- settings and stay safe is is a triumph of adaptability. I was writing down adaptability, as you said, I had to learn to adapt. But is there a risk though that you sort of lose your sense of self though? Or do you find as you get older, this Nicaraguan character Sort of become stronger and you're more sure of yourself. How does that work?
1: Yeah, that's a loaded question. I lo- I love your question. So definitely adaptability became you know my superpower. Yes, it affected me in the short. I'm going to say short term because I think my life is going to be long because of boundaries and figuring out that sense of self. I think as mm-hmm. I've gotten older, I would say in my 30s and now that I'm 42. <gasps> Rightful at the age of 42, I feel like I embraced my story and I find it empowering, but it was a hard road to get there. And a lot of potholes, a lot of coaches, advisors, therapists, you know what I mean? To understand like this is who I am and I'm okay with it. And it's not that <clears throat> this doesn't come from a place of arrogance. It's not that I don't think I don't have things to learn and I'm constantly evolving. And like I said, I think resilience is something that you always have to work on because mm-hmm. life evolves and challenges evolve. Um But yeah, I finally got into a place where, I mean, that's why I do these podcasts. I think, I hope I can help someone else that might be struggling with something similar if they're a first of anything, right? Whether it's a first generation American or, I don't know, going through something else that no one else has before and they have to trailblaze. It's not, it's not an easy task. And so I just, you know, I want there to be dialogue around that.
0: So if you could... um if you could go back and sort of meet yourself when you were i don't know 7 or 8 maybe 10 11 that those sort of interesting ages what would you say to yourself that former self
1: probably two things one that it's going to be okay like there were so many times where i you know i couldn't see the path forward if you will um and i had to figure it out um but two not to care as much what people think right because that head trash that takes a long time to work through you know <laughs> um and so to care less what people think because i mean it's it's wonderful to be a good person and have you know morals and values ethics all of that but you know you're not going to be everyone's cup of tea and i spent a lot of time for a large part of my life even just trying to get people to like me
0: mm.
1: and i think that wasted energy if you will
0: yeah, I mean, you, and you might be talking about the secret the secret of human happiness here on the, the caring less bit. But I mean, how do you learn to do that? Because there's two bits, there's the caring and there's the caring less and there's the less bit, if you see what I mean. So I'm just wondering how you managed to you know, sort of navigate that path. Well,
1: again, not a direct, <laughs> not a nice straight line, um, I think. In the beginning, as we were talking about adaptability and making sure that um, everyone liked me and that I felt safe and I was included in these spaces, that taught me a lot just about humans, how humans work, what they appreciate, what they want, all of that. And then through a long journey and some you know, dark times and therapy and coaches, I realized like, okay, what parts are mine to own? Because that was me being authentic to myself, which is really important. Um, and what parts can I kind of divest myself of, right? And it's still a, a struggle, right? Being a female executive, you want to be liked. It, it's not easy to be a female executive. So it's not something that I'm going to say I've mastered. But I think through different challenges in life, life has taught me like, okay, <laughs> being a people pleaser doesn't work long-term, but how do you navigate being okay with, um Not everyone liking you or not everyone understanding you and working through that. And I think it just through challenges and time, you know.
0: Mm. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because you often find, um, and I'm going to exaggerate for effect, but you you often find that female execs either end up being incredible, having incredible social fluency, so they're able to sort of get on with anybody. Then you get a bitch from hell. And then you have the man that thinks that the way to get ahead is to almost be another uh, um a man but in a female suit almost and mm. i see though those there may be others and i'm sure there will be others i'm just thinking about this as we go but um those are all legitimate strategies but it seems to me that the social fluency one which is i think where you're coming from in a sort of way which is just about being able to get on with people seems to be a, li- a li- seems just to be a bit easier doesn't it it seems to be um a more adult or honest way of operating in the world
1: yes but I would challenge the easier part (laughs) if I can it's different but I mean I there's definitely those like typical archetypes but it's still um if you are always agreeable um so I've been reading um Adam Grant's new book, think again. Right. And he talked about how agreeable people get on easier in life and that's true. Right. But then sometimes people are shocked when you decide to disagree or you you decide to voice your opinion. And it sometimes is difficult for people to take you seriously. If you're agreeable when it's time to say, no, I don't agree with this. Right. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. And I learn every day, like I said, I, uh, I seek out mentors as well and coaches and talking to people and trying to understand like other struggles that may have similar stories where I can find a common thread of like
0: how to deal with X, Y, Z, you know. Yeah. Issues. So, I mean, I, 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 and, you know, thank you for, for talking about this story because I'm I'm imagining there are people who are on your path, but many years behind you. Who can recognize the sort of things that you're saying, and it's it's actually encouraging to hear one two things. One, which is it's okay, but also that it's a sort of work in progress. Because I think it's fascinating, isn't it? I was working with an organisation the other day, and there were a large, massive organisation saying, well, "Where's where's the journey? When do we end?" And my point was, well we never end?" That's the point. You know, you don't come to a point where you stop, or or basically, you've died, or you you plan to die, which is that to die is fine, but. Uh, It it strikes me that life is work in progress, isn't it? And I don't think people see it that way. They They almost see a sort of stopping point, don't they? What do you think? Totally. So that
1: was something that was very difficult for me growing up. Again, immigrant parents, it was all about like, these are your goals, these are your metrics, this is where you're going to get to, right? You built out your path, you charted it, and you needed to hit all the different points. And I learned that the very hard way, um, Russell, by being disappointed many a times. Um, and then realizing that I, I'm i going to use the therapy term here. I've like reparented myself through books. So Brene Brown, um, Adam Grant, Simon Sinek. Uh, then I read this book this last summer by Emmanuel Acho, Illogical, where he basically just says goals are BS. And like, you need to think about your progress and your ideals and that sort of thing. And I think Brene Brown says um, progress is perfection. So I I grew up as a perfectionist, if you will. And like, I needed to get to these goals, but then sometimes I would hit that goal and it wasn't this like um, manna from heaven moment that I thought it would be. And then I realized, oh, there's still challenges. You know, like I remember wanting to be a VP. I wanted to be a VP by the time I was 35. Like I had this goal in my head, like I'm going to be a VP by the time I'm 35. Then you get to be... Be a VP, and it's not like going to Aruba. <laughs> you know, it's just like, like there's still challenges, and it's not this amazing. I don't know. I think I built it up in my head to be something that I thought it was, and it's it's not. And by the way, I wasn't a VP at 35, so <laughs> I disappointed myself as well. You know, so it's hollow.
0: But... I'm disappointing,
1: <laughs> right? But I think that that's when you realize, like, oh, okay, life is about evolving and facing these challenges and continuing to broaden your knowledge to under to be a better person. And you can do that until you die. So you should look at it as a process and try to enjoy the process, which is- can be difficult as well, but try to enjoy that process versus like this this mountain that you're going to reach, you know, it's a hike. You're getting to the top and you're going to see the scenic view and it's over. Yes,
0: it's not- which-, which actually saves me asking you my last question, which is, which is the next mountain view? Because I'm guessing from that, you don't have one. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I think, um, the mountain is you, that's also a book that I read (laughs) by the way, but, um, I think it's really about trying to understand myself better, be a better person every day and then empower other, um, females and, um, kind of marginalized groups, minority groups. That's why I've been telling my story. I think, um, yeah, I used to have kind of shame around it and be embarrassed about it. But now I'm like, maybe this will help someone else because mm. I, I needed that when I was younger.
0: And so when's the book going to be um, published? Sure,
1: I'll add that on my list of things to do. Uh, I'm not sure about a book, but I do have one big like career goal. I want to have a TED Talk one day about third culture kids. Yeah. Um, I think that's, it's really important. And I've I've uh, just chatted with other um children of immigrants and they we all have the same threads you know regardless of country of origin if you will mm. yeah
0: fascinating well um you're a remarkable person and um you've spent time with us today and hopefully um it's given some of everybody else enlightenment as well because i think it's an absolutely fascinating story so um i wish you all the best and i'm looking forward to that first ted ted talk um <laughs> Limey that's going to be that's going to be quote heavy isn't it all those books that you've got to uh, (laughs) assimilate and turn into your own I'm a nerd I'm definitely a nerd but thank you for having me Russell it's always a it's been a total joy thank you so much and um, you take care hi everybody I hope you found that episode useful and interesting Feedback is always welcomed, and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links.